Well, good morning, Storehouse family. I hope that you are doing well. Today, you are joined by Pastor Jeff Neal, or as we like to call him, Hefe. Uh, Hefe is the lead pastor of Logos Community Church in Harlingen. Uh, Hefe is a dear friend. He loves uh, preaching God's word. He also loves Storehouse McAllen. And so I hope that you are blessed this morning by Pastor Jeff Neal from Logos Harlingen. Amen. So I almost am a little offended that Marco feels like he still needs to do a welcome video for me because um, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm over here a good bit. And as I've often said, my second favorite place to, to preach, um, I love my, my church in Harlingen. And, um, and man, we love you guys. We talk often about our sister church over here in Storehouse and uh, um, man, a lot of just great memories over the years, and so I love being here. I wonder why you're here. I, I hope that it is because you, you want to uh, meet and be with Jesus. That's really all I have to offer you, um, is, is that you might um, be close to him, you might come to know him better, um, uh, that, that really is, that's what we offer. Um, and I was thinking this week that I have, I've had a lot of conversations recently about Christianity and Christianity compared to other beliefs, to other um, systems. And, and it really is not what the world will have you think is that Christianity is really just kind of another flavor. So you're going to pick ice cream flavors and it's just one of... 31, and it's really not that. Christianity is, is not close to or similar to other religions and other belief systems. It really is drastically unique, and Jesus is teaching an upside-down economy, an upside-down way of thinking, an upside-down kingdom that does not make sense, certainly to the world. And as we, we're going to be in John chapter 13 this morning, we'll see it really doesn't make sense to, um, to his guys, to the people that are very close to him. It's not the same, basically the same path. It's radically different. We're in John chapter 13 um, this morning, and this is part of what we call the farewell discourse. So John kind of has two major sections. There's the first, you know, 11 or, or some people would say 12 chapters where Jesus is primarily preaching to the masses, and um, he's doing a lot of his evangelism and talking about what it means to be born again, uh, sharing the gospel, healing people, doing these signs, these great signs, acknowledging and verifying that he is indeed the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And then there's a shift like partway through chapter 11 and 12 and certainly where we are in 13 where now he's talking to his, his close friends. Now, he's not preaching to the masses. He's giving final instructions um, to, to the disciples and those that are close to him. This is, this is pretty common in Scripture. Um, Jacob kind of has this farewell speech to his sons at the end of Genesis. Uh, Joshua does to the 
to the people. Um, David does this to Solomon. Moses does this to Israel as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and he won't. But, but like there's this new covenant community, and Moses is saying, hey, this is how you need to operate. This is uh, what you need to remember. That's a little bit of what Jesus is doing in this farewell dis- discourse. Um, that's what we're going to see this morning. And so the question is, and we get to pick, pick up some, some input from the disciples as they're hearing from Jesus. They're, Jesus is headed to the cross. And if you read through the Gospels, you know that they, they hear it over and over, but they really don't understand. And they have no reason not to understand, but they don't. They're thick-headed like, like you and I. And so he's preparing them. I'm not going to be with you much longer. Here's how I want you to act. And we see, because we have the rest of the story, they don't really get it until later. But how should they act? How should we act? How should Storehouse act this summer, even particularly? Marco's here, but he's not going to be, quote, here. Really, he's going to be on some vacation. He's going to take some time away. Summer is often a time when churches can kind of, you can kind of float. You can kind of coast, even as a Christian. And, and I just want to challenge you not to do that. Now, I'll tell you what I tell Logos. Man, go on the vacation. Dads, buy the ice cream. Like, ride the ride. Do the thing. Make the memories. Feel, feel no guilt or shame for doing that. But when you're here, be here. You don't just kind of pick up your church life and your Christianity in the fall. Like, be here. Be in. Be be with God and with His people when you're here. And so, in this passage this morning, there are some really important lessons as Jesus is headed to the cross for His disciples, but also for us. Guidance really for living in light of Calvary. They're looking, they're headed to that moment. We are looking back. And so with the cross kind of standing as this, this pivotal point in history, there are some lessons for how we ought to live and, and what the Christian life is supposed to be about. And specifically, I think, some guidance for you guys as a body of believers this summer. So we're going to be in John chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. We're going to start with the first few verses. Listen to the word of God. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. He says, when he had gone out, who? He's, he's talking about the previous passage, Judas. Jesus has just kind of told his disciples, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And they're kind of questioning. We see, we see from another gospel, even Judas says, is it me? And so they're all wondering. And Jesus has just told Judas, yes, it is you. And now he goes out. And he actually goes out into the dark, which if you know much about the Gospel of John, John's always using kind of light and darkness to contrast, you know, life with God and life apart from God. And so it's pretty significant that Judas goes off into the dark. 
And Jesus then immediately begins talking about the glory of God. Not probably the thing that is most on the minds of his guys. And often, I think in the church today, not often maybe on our minds most either. We're thinking about our comfort. We're thinking about our bills. We're thinking about gas going over $5 a gallon. I I get it. It's real. But Jesus begins in, in a... Think of this. He's headed to, first of all, extremely painful moment for himself, but it's also going to send his, his disciples into disarray, and he begins talking about the glory of God. At, at Logos, that's where we start our Logos 101 class. Um, kind of before we get into kind of who we are, what we do, we ground people This thing that we do, the gathering, why we do what we do, why we give, why we go, why we send, is is first about the glory of God. Now, I wonder as the summer approached, right, once we get after Memorial Day, we kind of think, okay, summer's here, school's out. Um, Is that first where your mind went? What was, was... the glory of God, the first motivation for your family as you're making plans, um, as, as you're, you're thinking about the summer, that is first and foremost on Jesus's mind. With all that's coming his way, knowing how he's, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be denied, all of that he, he talks over and over in these first few verses about the glory of God. And, and I love Jesus is going to glorify the Father. The Father is going to glorify Jesus back and forth. His glory and his Father's glory is primary in his mind. And he will be glorified at the cross. His perfect obedience, his, his payment of of sin on your behalf and on my behalf, accepted. And his followers are going to think in that moment, this is a moment of shame, of, of loss, of, of defeat. And it is actually the moment for the glory of Jesus. And so the Father is glorified at the cross. His will is accomplished. His plan, we, we just read in Acts chapter 2, is satisfied. Um, all, all of his demands are met at the cross. And the Father will glorify the Son at the resurrection and the ascension. Immediately for all eternity, Jesus will then go back to, to the place he was before he came to be on the earth. And so there's this perfect glory. He's, he will be with the Father after the resurrection. Notice what Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And Jesus is saying that I know there's a lot of pain coming. There's going to be loss. You're not going to be able to go where I'm going. But understand, this is first about the glory of the Father and about my glory. That's what's about to happen. And so first, the Christian life, whether you like this or not, is first about the glory of God. And what you'll find, the more that as you mature in in your walk, that really is the best thing for you. When you think that Jesus is something that you can add to your life, 
and, and, and kind of add to your plan and you plan out things and you say, Jesus, will you bless that? Um, and really what you find out when you're exposed is that you, you're glorying in other things. Life will not satisfy. God has set it up that way that you, it'll always feel a little off. There'll be some satisfaction, but not total satisfaction. There'll be some contentment, not real contentment, because that's how God has set it up, that you won't be right, you won't feel satisfied unless the glory of God is the center, primary focus of your life. And so the cross and the resurrection, Jesus is saying, are really about the the glory of God and life. This summer is about, for you and I, the glory of God. Of God. It's not first about personal achievement. It's not first about family. It's not first about the awesome vacation. Again, blow it out and have a blast and, and, and do it up, but it's not first about that. And if you don't get this, you won't, you won't just be wrong. You'll be miserable because you were made, you and I. You were made to be centered on the glory of God. And so, in this great moment of despair that's coming on Jesus and on his disciples, it will be the crowning moment of glory for, for the Father and for Jesus. So, the glory of God's a big deal. So, so with that settled then, that the Christian life is first about the glory of God, how then should the people of God live together? How should God's people, focused first on the glory of God, how, how should we live one another? Well, Jesus, Jesus tells them, John 13, 33-35. He says, Little children, yet a little while while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Little children, I love that Jesus addresses them that way. Jesus loves his disciples. Again, we know from John chapter 3, right, he loves the world. There is this general, this common love that God has for all people. But there is a special, particular love that God has for his own, for his, his select, his elect, called out people. And there's a term of endearment, little children. He loves his disciples, and yet he's leaving them. And you, you can understand, if you have been following Jesus... That would be a gut-wrenching moment. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to go away, and where I'm going, you can't come. But again, there's a distinction between, between those of us who follow Jesus and the world. He said this also similarly to the Jews, but it, he said it differently. This is not the same way he said it to the unbelieving Jews. Listen to what he told them, John chapter 7, verse 34. You will seek me... And you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. This Christian is different. 
That is, is, is a death blow. That's a devastating pronouncement. You're going to seek and try to find me. You won't find me. That's not what Jesus is saying to his friends. He's saying, I'm going to go away. You won't be able to come momentarily. We're going to know, we know later in the gospel, he's, he's going to remind them over and over, hey, I'm going to leave you someone. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. And actually, I'm going to be with you, and the Father's going to be with you. So this is a temporary thing. Jesus is saying, hey, man, there's something happening. Um, it's going to look like a death blow. You guys are going to scatter. You're not going to be able to come temporarily. This is not that. But Jesus is preparing his friends, his disciples. Hey, when that moment comes, I have some very specific instruction for you. What is it? It's a new command. It's a new command his very departure ushers in a new command. It, it demands new activity from the, the disciples that they must obey for their own good. What is it? It's the Christian life is marked by love for one another. There perhaps is in, in somebody in here, I'm, I'm just guessing, man, maybe you're, you're wired a little differently, and... You want to read or hear this and say, yeah, most of the time. Or, yes, but. There is no but. Jesus says this will be the defining mark of this new covenant community. I'm going away. You won't be able to come. This is how I want you to live one to another. Now, we know that, that because we read our Bibles, repentance will also be a mark. Confession of sin will be a mark of this new community. Evangelism, proclaiming God's truth, will be a mark. Serving the poor and the hungry will be a mark. Suffering, suffering, right? Paul says, it has been appointed to you, believer, to suffer. We don't like that one. But all these things will be marks. But this is the mark, Jesus says. This is the defining mark that will set you apart from the pagans and, and, and the non-believers around you. This will be the distinguishing, distinctive factor that will set you apart from all other people in town. Love for one another. This, is, this has been the case since the church was formed. In uh, 197 AD, there was a, a, a church father named Tertullian. And listen to what he said about this brotherly love. He says, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, again, the mark. This is, this is their quote, he says. See how they, the Christians, love one another. They say, in great contrast to how the pagans live, um, that, that's what they're saying. See how they love one another. See how they are ready even to die for one another. That's what Tertullian picked up from, from the nonbelievers as they watched the church. They were astonished. They said, this is not normal. They, they love one another in a way that we don't love one another. 
And in fact, they'll actually die for one another. That was incredible in 197 A.D. Is that, is that the mark of the church today? There is, um, if you're on social media, and look, I'm not arguing whether you should or shouldn't be, but if you are, you'll find that there is just, um, there, there are tons of stories of assault, abuse in the church. Um, there's a whole movement called ex, ex evangelical people leaving the evangelical church. People, maybe you've heard this term, deconstruction. People just saying, and now there are levels. Some, it can be healthy saying, you know, I was in an abusive church environment. I want to deconstruct and, and move out of that into biblical, true Christianity. But often, sadly, what's happening is people are just going all the way. And, and out of any semblance of Christian life, any semblance of Christian belief, and, and we, as the church, need to own at least the parts that are true of assault and abuse. I mean, y'all probably have it here. This could be you this morning. Certainly we have it in, in Logos and Harlingen. People that say, man, I, I wasn't sure if I'd ever step into church again. The worst abuse I've gotten was in the walls of the church and not out. And again, there is some reality to that. We need to own it and repent of it where that has happened. But, but Jesus is saying, Tertullian was seeing in, in the second century, the opposite is possible. And I, I would dare say, not just possible, Jesus is commanding a different approach. Whether they believe us or not, Jesus is saying, let love for one another be the distinguishing mark for this new covenant community. Is that the mark at this church? Is that your, the mark in your heart for your brothers and sisters here this morning? Would they say that? Say, so you can say that, right? You can say that. A better question would be for you to ask someone, man, is that, if you think of me, is that one of the top three words that you would think of? Or would it be, no, he knows his scriptures very well. He can pretty much tell you where you're messing up. Um, and he does two or three. But would love, would that be in the top three as your name came up in conversation? Jesus says it probably should be number one. Mark. We had, um, there's a, a former cartel guy in uh, that has started coming to our church. And I mean, this guy, you know, it's, it's strange when someone's very humble about their activities, but you're like, dude, this guy was like a, a big player and telling you kind of humbly like what he did and, and, and all this. And, and he's come, he, he began to listen to Matt Chandler online and, and ended up getting saved radically about a, about a year ago, 18 months ago. And man, they've come, they started coming and their, their family is coming. And and he has a daughter that um, has been coming to youth group, and she, man, it, it's incredible to watch God draw her. Man, this is a young woman that has suf suffered from some depression and some suicidal thoughts, and she was in my office with him a couple of Sundays ago afterwards, and, 
And man, it's just like, you know, you're seeing like the light come on, you're seeing her face glow, and, and I think she's very close, man. And, and so I said, what, what has changed? I'm always like fascinated what God uses. And for one, she said, man, it's the Word of God. I don't even know if she called it that. I think she said, man, just reading the Bible and like the, the very things I'm reading are changing how I think. Don't ever underestimate the power of just the scriptures being read to someone. And so that's changing her without anyone preaching to her. And then the second thing, and this is what I was really thankful for. Man, she, she says, I am just watching people here love each other and love me. And like, I just wasn't expecting that. And I don't know what to do with that, but it's, it's very warming and welcoming. And so God is using the Word of God and the love of God's people to draw this young girl out of darkness, out of depression, very, very soon, I think, into a restored relationship with Him. So, so Jesus is about the glory of God, and, and right behind that is you must, you should, I command you, love one another. That needs to be the mark. Well, how, how do they respond? Right? We would hope they, they begin to just have a great love fest, and they're just awesome. Notice what Peter does right after this, verses 36 to 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. I love Peter. I think I can relate to Peter. Maybe you can. Impulsive, right? He is the guy, Jesus, I'll follow you. You're not going to wash me. And Jesus says, man, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And so he says, well, then wash all of me. And he's very impulsive, reactive, right? He, he's the guy you think would run into the room, guns blazing. And yet Jesus knows Peter better than Peter knows Peter. And Jesus says, man, you can't follow me, but you will. You will pay with your life. And then in a moment of boldness, right, Peter says, hey, um, um, I would lay down my life. And, and Jesus says, man, the night's not even going to be over and you're going to not deny me that you even know me and have been hanging out with me. He, Peter blows right by the new command. Jesus says, hey, a new command I'm going to give you. Peter says, yeah, yeah, okay. Jesus, where are you going? Right? He's less interested in the command. He's less interested in the glory of God. He's just worried about Jesus leaving. I mean, he's going to miss the intimacy. What will that mean? They've left everything to follow Jesus. Isn't that the whole point of discipleship? You, Peter thinking, Jesus, you, you told us to leave everything and come follow you, and now you're leaving. And we know this was, this was a concern to Peter. In Matthew chapter 19, we read, Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? I mean, Peter, 
in all his humanity and, and fickleness, is, is saying kind of through the Gospels, see, Jesus, we've left. Where are you going? Like, what's in this for us? This whole movement is going to screech to a halt as Jesus does leave and goes to the cross. And, and again, this is so important for, for Peter to be near Jesus. If you remember in John chapter 6, Jesus begins to talk about the, that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the Bible says that many that were following him followed him no more. And they left. And so Jesus turns in John 6 to his disciples and says, what about you guys? You're going to leave too? And I love what Peter said in that moment. Lord, to whom shall we go? So again, can you, can you put yourself in Peter's place? He's left everything. He, he, for him, he has put all his card, all his chips to the center of the table to follow Jesus. He's, he's kind of said, Lord, I don't have anywhere else to go. And now Jesus says, I'm leaving. Man, the angst that Peter must have felt. And on top of that, man, that he, he's so wired about what all this means for him that he just kind of blows by exactly what Jesus just said. And so this is kind of the third thought is the Christian life, the true Christian life values obedience over personal gain. Peter's wondering what this means for him. Hey, see, we've left everything and, and forgets the big command that Jesus just gave them. But, I mean, do you do that too? I do. But, I mean, this is right in front of you, and yet maybe it's, maybe it's pride, maybe demanding your rights. I see that a lot in Christianity today. You've got, you put the bumper sticker. You might protest Disney. You might stand up for Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A and, like. But think about Peter's life, man. Peter's been pretty loyal, too, and yet he just blows by this brand-new command. See, we'll often do, and Peter did, the showy stuff, the outward stuff. And Jesus is just, has just instructed them, hey, will you guys love each other well, like selflessly? That, Peter, not, not cutting off ears, that is to be the mark. Of this new community. See, we'll, we'll, we'll often obey simple and profound um, things, but will we, will we obey this command to love one another that, that's going to cause sacrifice? It's going to maybe require humility. There, there's a, I don't know if you've seen the movie, it's, it's probably in that early 80s chariots of fire parents if your kids haven't seen it put it on the summer watch list fantastic movie and it's about a man there's several guys but the the main character is named eric liddell and at 1924 he goes to the olympics and um he, i think his his event was like the 100 meter dash or maybe 100 yard dash and yet the 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 pre-qualifying pre-qualifying races for that were on a sunday and he was a devout Christian. He said, man, I, I won't do those early races. And they're like, well, if you don't, you can't then be in the championship. I mean, he was scheduled to win. And so he ends up shifting 
to the 400-yard dash, wins the gold medal miraculously, actually sets a world record. Not the event that he trained for. And so, um, but there's a little more to, to his story. So think, Olympic gold medalist. I mean, top of the world, right? Best in the world. Well, he had grown up as a, as a missionary kid. And so after the Olympics, he goes over with, to, to China. He ends up getting married over there. And then um, 1941, Japan invades China, right? Beginning of, of World War II. And so he sends his wife back. Um, thinks things are getting unsafe, but he says, no, the Lord has not called me to leave. I need to stay and serve. Well, shortly after, he gets rounded up and put in an internment camp. And so this man who, who has not just talked about it, but lived a very faithful Christian life, but also who won top of the stage, best in the world, won a gold medal. He ends up in an internment camp, and really, almost about just under 20 years later, this gold medalist is getting up early. He had been trained in medicine, getting up early in the internment camp, cleaning the toilets, cleaning the bathrooms, because he knew that, that sanitation and keeping those things clean would mean the most. That was a way to love his fellow prisoners. Uh, he knew that disease could run through the camp. Gold medal winner cleaning filthy toilets in a prison camp because I think he, he took the Lord's command to love his brothers and sisters very obediently. The glory of God is, is, is where it starts. The love for one another is the mark. And our weakness, just like Peter's, can get in the way. Tertullian said it is that love is the mark of the new Christian community. Will it be Mark here this summer? See, I, I, there's hope. If that's not maybe been you up to now, or you think, man, this morning, I, I think I can grow. Praise God for that, that God gives growth. The same Peter, the same Peter who just blew by the command. We read this during worship, here it is again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. You see the sandwich there? Since you have been born again, love one another. Peter got it. He got it. Love the brotherhood. Brotherly love, he goes on in, in the letter to say, have a tender heart. Keep loving one another earnestly. All those are in 1 Peter. Jesus says again in verse 35, this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's, there is no way around this. You cannot actually, John says in another letter, you cannot claim to be a Christian and not have love. You're a liar. So, so, so assessing that this, this morning, knowing that you have been born again, that you are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart, what could that look? Dream with me for a, a moment. What could that look like this summer at Storehouse? Practically. See, let's, let's, uh, some of us are theorists. 
but let's be practicalists. I think a few things I propose for you to pray about this afternoon. One, serve here, be here faithfully. This is a battleship, not a cruise ship. This is not where you come to, to just line up for the all-you-can-eat buffet and then ride home and like, oh, I thought Marco was a little off today. The music was not to my taste. First of all, the music was not for you. Um, second, this is not where you come and consume. This is a body that you, you join and you serve. You love one another by coming and serving one another. Grab there's, I always use this analogy. There's like a huge rope, a tug-of-war rope. Find your place and start pulling. That's how you love one another. That's one way. A second way, you give regularly. I get it. Gas is up almost to $5. And yet we are to give regularly. Get in a pattern of regular giving. And I, that's money, Jeff. Well, I thought we were talking about love. That is one way you love the brethren here to keep the lights on, to keep storehouse kids functioning. I mean, there's stuff that has to be bought. There's rent. Payroll. Payroll. That's one way that we, we love one another. How about this? Open your home once a week. What if you did this every other week? So once a week, it's for someone in here that you don't know, man, to share a meal. Not with someone that you know well, that, that you're already doing that. Well, I, I have my cousins over it. No, I'm talking about someone in here. Maybe it starts even today. Hey, would you come over Wednesday night? Would you come over Friday night? So one week, someone you know in the body. And then maybe the next week, someone out of the body, a non-believer. One week with believers in the body. One week kind of with an outreach mentality outside the body. See, you are now using your home, and I get it through your little sanctuary, you're using your home as an opportunity to love. Your food is an opportunity to love. Your hospitality, I would just share, Marco and Rebecca do that fantastically. I mean, I always, um, I always feel, love, not just here, but in their home. So that's maybe a third way. How about this? Number four, perform one random act of love a week. Just un, uh, not required. Just send someone a gift card to their favorite coffee place. Um, watch someone's kids. Not for pay. Man, I want you guys to have a date night. When here's, here's the coupon. You cash it anytime in the next two weeks. Four hours of babysitting. Most someone's grass when they're on vacation without being paid. Do something, show tangibly some brotherly love. Maybe you say some of it, man, I'm real tight. I'm on a fixed income. I don't have money. Do something for someone. If you're going to make a casserole, make two. You say, hey, man, we got you covered for dinner on Tuesday night. Why? We're not sick. Let's just, we're just doing it, man. Just because we love you. Serve here, give here, open your home, and then perhaps a random act of kindness for the week. Here's what I would love. When, when Marco is going to go away for a little bit of time, 
I wasn't sure he was going to be here this morning, but I was going to challenge you. But I'll, I'll challenge you even though he's here. There's a fear sometimes in pastors when we leave that some of the things, uh, sometimes I like it to like you keeping all these plates spinning in the air and like, you know, if you step over here and this one falls to the ground. And one that we worry about sometimes is care for the body and love that if we're not around as much and, and reminding people. And here would be the challenge. Have Marco come back to a church that is more loving, more serving one another, that he would be pleasantly surprised that, that, that man, it didn't, he didn't need to be here, but that you guys just overwhelmed one another, that it was clearly the mark of this church this summer that you loved one another. That's it. Let, let brotherly love be the mark for storehouse this summer. Let's pray. Father, this is an unnatural way to live unless, unless we have first tasted your love for us. Then it makes all the sense in the world. It makes all the sense to share just a little bit of the great love that you have shown us in your son, Jesus. It, it is actually not a burden. It is a joy to live and love this way. Help us when our flesh protests and our flesh wants to hold on and, and hunker down and not sacrifice. Help us walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Thank you for loving us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.